As we get to our, our, our message today, I, I want to begin by telling you that on Tuesday of this past week, we celebrated uh, my daughter's 25th birthday. My oldest child, her 25th birthday was this week. And uh, we always know how long we've been at Rich Fork because we subtract six months off of her age. And that's how long we've been here in Thomasville serving at Rich Fork in some capacity. Uh, so we, we did what you do, right? We, we ordered a birthday cake and we went and picked it up and um, got home. And that, that evening, we uh, wasn't to me, it wasn't a cheap cake, all right? Not, not a cheap skate, all right? Cheap cake. Uh, and, and so we, we got the cake out, and we put the candles on it, and we um, sang happy birthday, we blew out the candles, and took out the candles, and we cut it, and it was supposed to be white chocolate raspberry inside, but it was lemon. Now, I don't know, you might be a fan of lemon and not white chocolate, all right? Um, but but that, that was the difference, and so I thought, you know, that wasn't really a cheap cake. So I, I, I shot an email to the, to the company. Don't ask. I'm not going to tell you, even though you'll just see how this all turns out. And, uh, and so I, uh, I, I, I signed, sent an email, didn't hear anything back. So I put on my calendar Thursday morning when they open, I'm going to call us a couple days later, give them a chance to respond to email. And I honestly was just going to go, Hey, we got the wrong cake. Maybe somebody else did too. Want to make sure nothing's going wrong with your ordering system. Just trying to be nice, but I, I just got to be, be totally transparent. Earlier in the week, i had had a negative customer service experience. And so this one had me ramped up and ready. Okay. I'm just telling you, I made the call and in my head, I am ready. Okay. I am customer service ready. So I dialed the number and this sweet Southern lady answers the phone. I don't remember her name. We're going to call her Sue Ellen because it fit her accent. Okay. And and if your name is Sue Ellen, you don't have to have a, a, a Georgian accent. Okay. And she just said, hello, thank you for calling. That wasn't her name. She goes, it's great to talk to you. How can I help you? (laughs) Really? I am ammoed up, right? I am disappointed in your kindness at this moment because I want to be impatient. Like that's what I want to exercise on you in this moment. And so I share with her my problem. She said, no problem. Let you talk to the manager. Translation, you ain't getting nothing, Jack, right? It's usually what happens when it goes that way sometimes. And uh, so I thought, okay, here it comes. Here's the, you know, can't help you. And, I, you know, and, and really, what do you do? You ate part of the cake because you had to eat something. It was a birthday party. And so, and so she gets on the phone, equally kind voice, right? And she just says, I heard you had a problem with your order. Just as sweet as she could be. She didn't ask me to explain myself. She didn't ask me, can I prove that it was a lemon cake? Nothing. She just said, would you like to come pick up a new cake today? Are we on the same, like, you know, not, not like this, phone like this, right? And, and I'm going, oh, oh. if she could have seen my face, I was so stunned right? I was just so stunned in the moment. And she said, and I said, well, I don't really need a cake. Like we were, birthday's over. It's too late. Well, just come get a gift card for the full amount and you can use it whatever you want. Oh boy. (laughs) And I said, I'm not expecting a full refund. Now I'm apologizing, right? I wasn't expecting a full refund. I just, I just wanted to make sure she said, was your cake right or wrong? And I said, it was wrong. She said, then you get a hundred percent refund. I went, well, You went far above, 
right? But here's the reality. We have been culturally trained. This is why this is so important to walk through the fruit of the Spirit. Because we have been culturally trained to be impatient, to be unforgiving, and to be unkind. That's who we've been trained to be by our culture. And if you don't believe me, grab your phone, read the highlights of the day. We are an impatient person. And you go, impatient people, and you go, well, I'd like to, but your Wi-Fi is really slow here, which further proves our impatience, right? Because patience, not on my part that day, saved the day. Completely changed my outlook. This is just one example of how the inner struggle churning in every single one of us is often winning the battle on the outside of us and it is impacting the relationships that we have that we could potentially influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Impatience is standard equipment. Unforgiveness is mandatory. Unkindness is accepted. If you disagree with me, just Start a conversation tomorrow and you'll probably feel one of those enter in. So our fourth week, all we're going to try to tackle today, our fourth week is on this battlefield is the practice of patience. The ever elusive response to difficult people, to difficult situations. Um, Paul, the writer of Galatians, warns the people that they are, as followers of Jesus, they're being pulled back into the desires of the flesh that once entangled them. He, he says this in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So Paul is saying, this is not rooted in Christ. This is, be, you're being drawn by the desires of the flesh. And Paul is very clear. Please hear me as we walk through this. This is not character training. This is not saying no to some things. But what it is Paul is doing is he's reminding them, you keep saying yes every day to a growing relationship with Jesus. This is not about saying no, it's about saying yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is clear. Be connected and rooted in Christ and the fruit will come. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The word patience here is the word macrothemia. Uh, it's a really interesting word. I, I'm not going to get deep into the word study here, but uh, it, it means to be able to face trouble without blowing up. It is the, op the opposite of this word for peace is resentment towards God, resentment towards others. Uh, if, it's, if it has a counterfeit, it's cynicism or lack of care. I love this as I was reading through this. How many of you, be careful when you answer this, you can raise your hand, okay, or just choose not to play the game. It might help you out. How many of you know somebody that is short-tempered? Anybody? Anybody? No pointing. I didn't ask you to point. Okay. Or we say, that person has a quick fuse, right? Same, same kind of idea. But what's interesting, there's no word in our English language, nobody ever says, well, they're long-tempered, right? Nobody means they're, nobody says that, 
Because here's why. Because when we're getting our language and scriptures being translated in our language, we don't have, we don't say long-tempered, right? We don't say long-suffering. And so the word that's closest to this is the word for our grammar is patience. Initially, this word in, in Greek, as it gets translated through, was the word um, long anonymity, all right, in Latin. We definitely don't want to use that one. Then we go to long suffering, and then ultimately we get the word patience. Patience. Now, I want us to do something we've done. We did with love, we did with joy, we did with peace, because this to me is, is my uh, desire for us as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit. We did this about seven years ago, so I, I want to take this to another level this go-round. I think you guys are ready for this. Is I want us to take this and attach and look first at the patience of God towards us, because without a right view of God's patience towards us, then we will never have a right view of patience with others. It's got to start with his patience towards us and let that define patience. And then we can step back and go, oh, wow, that's patience. Scripture says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient. He's long-suffering. He's long-tempered, okay, toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. God is calling. God desires a relationship with you. God forgives us. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 7, um, we'll just read verse 6 in just a moment, but th this is a moment where what has taken place right before this is God had given Moses, the leader at the time of the nation of Israel, the people, God's chosen people. If you don't know the story, go back and read Exodus. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And Moses is now beginning to get instruction on how to lead the people um, moving forward. And so he's given the Ten Commandments. Most of us have at least that reference point in our mind, but most of us don't realize that the first set of Ten Commandments got broken because when Moses came down the mountain, the people had been impatient on waiting on Moses, so they built their own idol, and boom, there goes those. And so then he goes back up the mountain. He has another moment with the Lord. The Lord gives him a second set of the same Ten Commandments. And at that moment, the Lord says this about the people down at the bottom of the mountain. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious Slow to anger, that's the Hebrew Old Testament, slow to anger, long-suffering, patient, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is saying, I'm merciful, I'm slow to anger, I'm loving, I'm faithful, I'm long-suffering. The best way for us to examine our being slow to anger or long-tempered is to reflect on the patience of God toward you. What has God done for you? We're going to look at that. We're going to remind you of that. Jesus is teaching at one point um, in his ministry and a disciple by the name of Peter um, comes to Jesus and asks him a question about forgiveness. But in this parable that Jesus is going to give. Jesus often would take a question and then interpret it and, and speak about it through a parable, a life story that had 
implications for them. And so Peter, the guy who asks all the questions seemingly all the time um, in Jesus' circle, comes in Matthew chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Um, if you don't, you can read it from the screen. Um, you can take a look at it later on. Uh, but here is the interaction that Jesus has. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So now he's elevating this, right? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience, have long suffering with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master. So now they're going up the ladder, right? All that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What a powerful glimpse of patience and forgiveness. What a glimpse of impatience and unforgiveness. The merciful servant is placed before the master. He owes 10,000 talents. Let me just tell you, that's millions of dollars. You would have had to have a winning ticket on a Friday night to pay this off, okay? Uh, some of you understand that reference. Some of you don't, all right? Then the first servant comes to the master and he says, be patient with me. Have mercy on me. And he forgave. He canceled the debt. Later on, gave it back because of his action. But he, he canceled the debt. He leaves. Somebody owes him pennies on the dollar. And he says, you're going to prison. Jesus is displaying God's patience towards displayed through forgiveness, the canceling of debt towards even us. And he has forgiven us. He's offered a payment to forgive us, to cancel our debts. Yet, much like the first servant, we turn to those in our lives who've caused pain and hardship and those who simply make things difficult around us and we do not offer forgiveness and we are impatient. 
You see, this is elevating. This is not just, hey, let's be better for one day at being patient. No, this is raising our view to the picture of God's patience with us. One author said, we ignore God's extreme patience with us. We discipline our children out of anger while God disciplines out of love. We're eager to punish the person who provokes us while God is eager to forgive. We're eager to exercise our authority while God is eager to exercise his love. Every day, God is patient with you. Every day, God is patient with me. And my temptations and my sins, Scripture says they have a payment and it is death. And Jesus Christ became that form of payment of death. Our faults, our failures are far more serious in our relationship to God than what other people do to us. This is the reality, the parable that Jesus was teaching. Without a right view of God's patience towards us, then we will never have a right view of our patience towards others. If I could summarize this parable, it would be this. God is patient with me even when I'm not perfect. I mean, even when I'm uh, even though I am not perfect, I must be patient with others because none of us are perfect. We'll get to dealing with people in just a few minutes, but first I want to make sure we, we have an understanding of our relationship to God. Now, one thing that's amazing about this moment in Matthew chapter 18, I want to make sure you see this. The guy asking the question, did anybody catch his name? His name was, who asked the question to Jesus? It was who? Peter, all right, if you know anything about Peter, Peter goes on in the story and the relationship to Jesus. He's one of his disciples. Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, absolutely not. I would never do that. Who would do that? I definitely would not do that. He quickly does that and denies even knowing who Jesus is. Then Jesus is crucified. Imagine Jesus going to the cross and you had just denied him three times. But that's not the end of the story. In John chapter 21, after Jesus has been crucified, been placed in the tomb, and is raised from the dead three days later, one of the conversations recorded in Scripture in John chapter 21 is Jesus and Peter sitting by a fire. The, the, the raised Jesus, okay, talking about a hangout moment, right? The raised, resurrected Savior is sitting by a fire having breakfast with Peter, the one who denied him, the one who said he would never deny him, the one asking a question about forgiveness, and now he gets the full dose of the lesson in John chapter 21 because Jesus doesn't just bring up the past and say, hey, Peter, I, I would love to have used you to do some great things. But you remember those moments? He doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He says, hey, I want you to go feed my sheep. When I depart, I want you to lead. Do you think he needed any more encouragement to offer patience to others? Do you think he needed any more reinforcement that God had forgiven him? Peter later writes about Jesus. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is Peter talking about the one who forgave him. He's defining patience and forgiveness here. When he was reviled, meaning when he was slandered, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, the patience of God led to the forgiveness of God. In order for us to to step out into this angry, bitter world, we've got to keep this view of patience and forgiveness. That the patience of God led to the forgiveness of God. And then when we consider our patience with others, we keep in our minds the gift of what Jesus has done for us. And Later on, I'm going to ask this question, but I'll just ask it now. When's the last time that you've taken a moment, a few moments, and you said, God, thank you for being patient with me to the point of offering forgiveness for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for having patience with me. There's two other moments that I want us to see in Scripture about patience. One transpires over about 13 chapters. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to read 13 chapters, all right? We don't have that much time, but I want to review a story with you, and I want us to see this, that our patience in trials and difficulties displays our trust in the faithfulness of God. So our our patience during trials and difficulty reveals to other people. First of all, here's the patience of God. Then here comes the test. Our patience in the middle of trials and difficulties displays our trust in the faithfulness of God. Can we depend on God? Do we trust in God? Do we believe in God? The most profound example that I can give you comes from the book of Genesis. It is the story of Joseph. And let me tell you his story in about two minutes that covers 13 chapters of the Bible. Joseph was the 11th out of 12 sons born to a guy by the name of Jacob. Uh, Not only was he 11th born, he was the favored kid. Uh, so much to the point he had a special coat. Some of you reference and know the coat of many colors. Um, he had dreams, probably some things he said to his brothers early on um, that, that, that we would not say. He said, I had a dream that you guys all bowed before me. Not something you really tell your older brothers, right? And so this favor begins to, to irk his brothers. And so they decide one day we're going to kill him. We're going to get rid of him. Then they decide, mm, that's a really hard thing to be responsible for. So how about we just dig a pit? We'll put him in the pit. And then some slave traders came along and they said, hey, we'll sell him into slavery and we'll go home and lie to daddy that he's dead. Still got to lie to dad. Still got to go through all this. But in their minds, hey, that, that, that sounds a little bit better than being the ones responsible. So sure enough, somebody comes, they buy him, they take him into slavery. He ends up in the slavery and the servitude of someone by the name of Potiphar. Now Potiphar was way up in the leadership of Egypt. So way under, you've got the, the Pharaoh, you've got Potiphar, and way down here in prison and in slavery and in servitude is a guy by the name of Joseph, who was the 11th or 12th, who was pretty and handsome, Scripture says, in Genesis chapter 39. This gets him into another situation because Potiphar's wife decides he's really handsome, he's really good looking. She makes a proposition, he denies it, he runs, she grabs the cloak, the cloak is there, she makes an accusation, he gets thrown back in prison. Guy from the hole, buried, slavery, kind of gets a break, not a break, 
back in slavery. He starts to interpret dreams. We know he's got a history in that. He starts to interpret dreams for people in jail, some of them very, very, very bleak, some of them very exciting. He ends up interpreting dreams for the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh, and then he gets placed into the leadership of uh, a very important part of their history is they were going to go through seven years. You with me? You still with me? It's a lot. But we got to get there, okay? Promise. They're going to go through seven years of famine, but there's going to be somebody that all the nations around them are going to come, and they're going to say, we need some food. We need some food. And who does he put in charge of all of it but a guy by the name of Joseph who had been accused, put in slavery, put in prison, who had been thrown into a hole, who had preferential treatment from his dad, and now he is leading this great moment in history where everybody that needs food is coming to him, and lo and behold, guess who comes needing food? Joseph is 30 years old, 13 years of hardship. Scripture says in chapter 42 of Genesis, now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. They didn't know it was him at this point. Now imagine if you're Joseph at this moment. Boy, you're talking about revenge. Here it is. You're talking about resentment and anger and bitterness and impatience. All the the antonyms for all the fruit of the Spirit. Joseph, this is your chance. In a dramatic way, he reveals himself You can go back and read it in Genesis 45 yourself, but here's a few of the verses. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Oh, boy. (laughs) He's revealed himself. They know. This is their brother. Come near to me, please. You've got to be thinking, okay, this is the end. This is how it's, it's going down right here. And he said, this is going to show the patience of Joseph means that he trusted God's faithfulness right here. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you hear? He is patiently waiting through trials and through difficulties. Why? Because he believed that God was going to be faithful. He believed that although he was going through turmoil, that very few of us would ever even imagine going through that God was going to be faithful. He has made me father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You didn't do this. Did you hear it? Who was faithful? The brothers? No. Joseph? No. God was faithful to take him through, I'm going to call it downs and ups. I know we always say ups and downs, but, but, but if you read through the story, you have to agree his downs are really down, okay? So I'm just going to go with downs and ups because they just felt much more difficult than the average person. The longer he was patient with God, the longer he trusted God to be faithful, the more he endured and persevered, 
the greater the opportunity to display the faithfulness of God. The story goes on. He preserves a whole nation of people called the Israelites, God's chosen people. Now, I know several people in our congregation, several of you, even people in our community, as we sang the last song in the, in the first service, I looked out and I, I saw several people in the room that I know have been dealing, several of them, for cancer for almost a decade. And yet there's a calm and a peace about them. They're walking through tragedy and through hardship in a way that just blows my mind. How is that possible? It's possible because their relationship to Jesus Christ connects them to a deeper trust in God and it equips them for the next day. His mercies are new every morning. Now please hear me. This, these messages are not, this might be a byproduct, it's not so that dads, you can ask your kids at the end of the day, hey, one to ten, how patient I was, and they say nine, you're like, yes, all right, success. That might be the success that you have out of this, but there's a bigger picture there. The picture is so that when your kids respond to that, you can say, you know what, you know why I'm trying to be more patient, why I'm trying to be more connected to Jesus, it's because God's been patient with me, and he forgave me. Church, there's a bigger picture here in Galatians 5. It's not character development. It's growing deeper and deeper to Jesus so that the world around us can experience the grace of Jesus. This is not superficial. Yes, it impacts our relationships. But listen to how Joseph summarizes his life. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And here's how. Here's why. Listen to bring it about so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God wanted to use Joseph's life to bring and save many people. It's the same for you. God wants us to be patient people, long-suffering people, joyful, peaceful people. Why? So that we can bring others to the hope of Christ. This goes above us. The purpose is greater. But the last point for the day is finally dealing with people, all right? You're like, oh, great. We got eight minutes to cover this one, 10 minutes, 30, whatever, all right? Our impatience towards others is an easy way to shift the focus away from our faults and failures. That's the reality. Our impatience is rooted in the ability of us to be able to say, but I'm better than them. I, I, at least I wouldn't have handled this this way. The fruit of the Spirit is a call to live a life of character, to influence others towards the hope. And what a better way for the enemy to derail us than the pride that we possess when we hide our own faults and failures and we are impatient with the blemishes of others. Let me just tell you this story. It's not a true story, um, but it could happen to you tomorrow. There's a green light. You're, you're eight cars back, and the green light goes through its full cycle, right? Green, yellow, red. Nobody moves. You're on Bridford Parkway, if you go to Greensboro. You're at Haynes Mall and um, 
in Stratford Avenue in in Winston, or you're at the big chair in Thomasville, the longest red light in the history of the planet. Kind of get an amen on that, okay? It's called manufactured traffic jam, okay? Uh, and, and so uh, you, you're sitting at one of those. You're eight, nine cars back. The cycle goes through again. People start honking the horns, right? And there's like a, a chorus. A, 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 there's a choir of different sounds of honks, and they're just blowing on the horns. And there's a guy at the front, and he, he opens up his hood, and he's looking in his car. He's trying everything, and he's trying to figure it out. And you're, you're eight cars back, and you're like, I'm not helping that guy. He's eight cars in front. Of me, I'll just give him a little honk because he doesn't know he's causing problems, right? Yeah, he does. And he, you're just honking the horn, honking the horn. Well, the story goes like this. The man finally gets frustrated, and, and, and maybe this happens. The man finally gets frustrated, and, and I would not advise this in today's culture. He decides, you know what? I'm going to get out of my car. He walks back to the, 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 the next car right behind him, and he says politely to the man, I'm sorry. I can't seem to get my car started. Would you mind trying to start my car and I'll honk the horn for you? <laughs> we want to blow the horn. We, we don't want to have to be the person with the valid excuse to be on the side of the road. But we want to have that temporary authority to say, your faults are causing me problems. Your difficulties are getting in my way. If you could get out of my way, then I could pretend that I don't have any. Our goal is to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which a larger goal is to bring about unity in the body of Christ so that we can impact the community around us. Paul spoke this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And here's the purpose of those. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see what Paul just did? He elevated patience. He elevated humility. He elevated gentleness. He took it off the back page and brought it to the front page to say, the patience that is offered to every follower of Jesus by the grace and the mercy of God is now the patience that we have the opportunity to offer to others and that patience should infiltrate our body of believers called Rich Fork to the point that we are uni unified in spirit. Doesn't mean we agree on every single thing, but we're unified in spirit so that those without knowing the patience and love and forgiveness of God can experience it. This patience with faults and failures. Patience begins to examine our relationships with each other and how we react to trials and difficulties and waiting and trusting in the faithfulness of God. So a few questions. When is the last time that you have thanked God for his patience, his loving kindness, his long-temperedness, with you, his forgiving you. Now they start to get hard. Think back over the past 24 hours. How have you dealt with faults and the failures of others? 
with patience or impatience, with forgiveness, with judgment, with mercy, with pride. Now, this is for you to answer yourself. Nobody in your family needs to help you, okay? On a scale of 1 to 10, how patient would you consider yourself? And then, that really attaches itself to the next question. Does my answer to number three, let's say I'm a three on the scale of patience or impatience, could it be that that level of impatience, not just in the moment, but ongoing impatience is deeply connected to your relationship in Jesus and where you are right now? Meaning, I've grown so impatient the last six months and I haven't spent any time with the Lord during those six months. You might find a correlation. And then the more and more I think through those two questions, the more and more last night sitting on my back porch, I thought this, this, this feels so harsh, but it is, it is ultimately so true. The further I remove myself from being connected to the root, the less I display the fruit. Where am I in my relationship to the Lord? Where are you in your relationship to the Lord? The last question, what spiritual decisions do you need to make to begin to grow your relationship with Jesus? And out of that comes the fruit. Notice I didn't, the last question wasn't, how do I, God, show me how to be more patient. No, help me to be rooted in God's word, to be prayerfully asking God to forgive me, to align myself up with him, to put myself in relationships that are gonna guide me closer to Jesus. And out of that comes patience, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control.